Welcome to Wisdom Personified, Conversations with Dudum Somi, a passionate and relentless pursuit of exploring how individuals use good judgment in everyday life, both in their personal and professional lives. Today, I'm very excited. I'll be talking to Dr. Yvonne Muthien. She's just been recently appointed to the Reserve Bank, but she holds many other board positions and is really somebody that I admire. And I so look forward to talking to you today. Yvonne, thank you so much for making yourself available. Thank you, Dudu. It's a pleasure. Um, I was just thinking, you grew up in Ravensmead in Cape Town. And what were your pastimes as a child? How did you keep yourself occupied? I should say uh, reading, reading, and reading. Yeah. But um, so I guess I was always a nerd when I was growing <laughs> up. <laughs> but um, as I sort of went into high school and university, also student activist. Mm-hmm. Um, but in our days of student activism, it also entailed a lot of reading. Really? Yes. I'm a 1976 generation, and that was the height of the Black Consciousness Movement. Mm -hmm. And so we took pride in our intellectual development. We read a lot. We read about Black Consciousness, Franz Fanon, Amilcar Cabral, Mm -hmm. etc. But we also studied quite a lot of Marxism-Leninism in those years. So in order to um, inform uh, the conditions of political struggle, we read quite a lot. I'm so fascinated by that because one of the main frustration I have is um, the the title black man, you're on your, on own, your own, Yes, goes in my head over and over. And I sometimes think we lack the appreciation of what that means, yeah. that technically we need to be competent, that ethically we need to be on point. There are so many areas that we need to be on point on. And to kind of share with us today that even at that time, you understood that you had to work on your knowledge, you had to read. Correct. Do you think we still have the same kind of attitude? No, I'm afraid um, the 80s generation that said liberation now, education later, um, was hugely challenging because it created um, a, a gap in knowledge. Yeah. Um, whereas perhaps it was necessary to spur the struggle. Um, it took us a whole long time um, to recover because already in the late 1980s, we were beginning um, to say, are we ready to govern? And if we are ready to govern, what kinds of skill sets and knowledge and expertise would it require? Um, And as a young academic in those years, um, you know, I saw it as my task to help produce the kinds of skills the country would need uh, for a new democratic South Africa. So, but it was challenging because, you know, young people are impatient by nature. Um, and didn't really want to be bound by sitting down and reading when it's much more fun being in the streets and throwing stones, etc. Um, so it was challenging. But nevertheless, by the time 1994 arrived, Madiba had a, a solid pool of specialists, uh, technocrats, intellectuals to draw on um, to, you know, uh, establish the new democratic government. Yeah. And I'm just thinking now, um, 
growing up, what vision did you have for your life? Very limited to start off with. Um, I, um, well, on Sundays, I used to have to go and get my dad from the Shabin uh, for lunch. Uh, so I thought probably the Shabin Queen was the most powerful woman mm. that I've come across. It gets everybody there. <laughs> Indeed. But uh, I thought I, I, I could become a teacher, a school teacher. Um, and then I, I kind of got to university and, and I guess my, my vision opened. Uh, I then wanted to become an academic, um, but because of the transition we were going through, I did become an academic. Um, we were called to, to national service, so I had to leave academia behind and go into government. Yeah, a different version of Tumamina at that time. Uh, very <laughs> <laughs> different, very challenging, quite tough, but enormously rewarding. There is nothing in my entire career that can compare with what we did in the Mandela government. Yeah, and you think of the symbols, the national orders, Indeed. to think you are the mother of all that. I mean, how do you feel? My career has been more by synchronicity and less planned, uh, or less orderly, I should say. Um, I had a um, global uh, boss at Coca-Cola that used to say, Yvonne and her checkered career history. Um, but again, that informed a very rich experience. So again, by synchronicity or sheer accident, um, at the time when uh, Madiba was due to sort of step down as state president, he had realized that one of the tasks that he wanted to tackle was to introduce new national orders or new national symbols, symbols in the country. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that had sort of lagged behind the bigger tasks of the RDP and you know just building, establishing the foundations of a democratic state. So um, again, I had left government at the end of Madiba's term and gone back to academic research and I was called back to take on the task of developing new national symbols of which I knew almost nothing. And again, I had to immerse myself into um, you know, what it meant. Uh, and it took a very, very long time. It took six and a half years of my life to complete the national symbols. And that was, of course, completed under Tabun Becky. Yeah. You strike me as somebody who has the ability to be in the forefront to be in the public eye, but you seem not to do that. Yes. And yet you still seem to really capture people's imagination when they need your service, they think of you. I'm wondering, what is this unique value proposition that you have, that you bring into every space that you occupy? Well, it's um, always about trying to make a difference. In other words, really being the best that I can be at what I do. So when I'm given a new task or a new challenge, I kind of set about it single-mindedly. I'm, I'm extremely focused um, at the task at hand and, you know, and delivering results. Um, it does take a, a lot of hard work, um, but um, in the end, I guess, what I have managed to establish is a track record for yeah. delivery. Yeah. And so when people think without creating a lot of noise. Um, uh, if people think about who can they call on 
with such a track record, yeah. then I guess I'm one of a number of people. Um, and I think that that's, that's a good, it's a good feeling um, doing a job well, um, even though in the middle of that national audit, I never thought I could really finish mm. the task because it, it was an enormous task. Um, it, um, you know, you kind of stick in there, you persevere. And at the end, you know, you look back and you say, hmm, that was a job yeah. well done. You establish a good foundation and, um, you know, new people coming in can, can take it forward. Having said that, I spent 16 years of my life chairing the National Audits Council, the President's Advisory Council on National Audits. It was incredibly rewarding, but um, I think perhaps a little bit too long. I'm yeah. a very firm believer um, in succession and renewal, and therefore, um, you know, I like to think of um, work or commitments in five-year terms. Yeah. Never quite reached five full years because the, the world moves so fast yeah. that after three years, you know, you're ready almost to be redeployed, yeah. is what we called it in the olden days. But I, I like to keep a very good um, um, balance between um, public sector and private sector interests. Yeah. Um, I guess the public sector is our contribution. It's the giving back mm. part. It makes us feel good, doesn't it? It does rather. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess there are not a lot of people who are committed, to, you know, necessarily to doing, to have, you know, a, can say a job well done. Yeah. Thinking of the private sector particularly. Yes. Um, we have some challenges with regards to transformation. Yes, certainly. What are the attitudes or views that are hindering transformation? And what can we do to break through this hurdle so that we can become a different South Africa? I think the important thing is to raise um, leaders, corporate leaders in South Africa that think differently, um, that are not threatened by difference because part of um, our corporate culture is that we can become too insular. Yeah. And so um, leaders tend to go out and hire people who are like them and who think like them and who are similar to them. In fact, you can often see um, them coming even from the same high schools. Mm -hmm. so, um, so if we can introduce even more than race and gender diversity, a, a diversity of thought um, and approaches and skill sets, um, you know, we can begin to appreciate people who bring different value uh, to organizations. Um, it is a very good thing that we have transformation targets because yes. it keeps people focused to mm. achieving those. Um, but nevertheless, I think the broader um, kind of approaches and mindsets um, that is required for transformation that needs to be appreciated more so that you have built corporations where um, people come from various backgrounds um, and, and qualifications. Yeah. And I mean, my, my life proves that yes. with a social science background and academic background, you can be equally 
uh, competent in uh, public sector yeah. executive management as well as, as private sector executive yeah. management. Which is a mindset we really need to change because exactly. that's sometimes used as an excuse. But also just thinking of these environments in terms of private sector and public sector. And in South Africa, when we look at helping each other and supporting each other, yes. whether we're entrepreneurs or whether we're professionals, sometimes we get caught up in the whole perception of corruption. Yes, um, precisely. How do we really handle this better yeah. so that we don't um, leave each other hanging where we don't support each other, but at the same time, we're not uh, marred in this perception of corruption? I think the, the first thing is to create that kind of network, which is like an alumni type network of, of black professionals. Um, and then the next thing is to be able to be each other's safety net so that if we see someone kind of erring, uh, that we call out the person, we reach out rather. Um, when I say call out, I don't mean in public. Okay. I mean you reach out yes. and, and um, provide the necessary guidance and advice, um, particularly you know, young professionals. Um, and also it's about just learning, you know, what are the things that constitutes a conflict of interest, yeah. having respect for processes and procedures um, and sticking to those and being mindful. Uh, you know, I've trained my, my staff um, very often to say that um, there's certain kinds of mistakes you don't want to do ever because it follows you for the rest of your life, basically. Your reputation, reputation, absolutely. And, and so therefore, anything relating, uh, relating to financial mismanagement, fraud, corruption, those things stick um, and you can't get rid of it very easily. And so, you know, build, um, just take the hard route. Um, when something comes easy, um, you know, you really have to be very cautious about yeah. it. So it's um, difficult um, to bring that message across at times, uh, particularly with, you know, younger millennials that are impatient um, and they do want to get from point A to point B very fast, but the road is uh, paved with booby traps. Yeah. And so I guess um, it is about learning um, that kind of almost um, professional antenna, having that professional antenna to, to take the long view um, and watch out uh, for those booby traps. You know, in South Africa, we have kind of complex relationships, especially with the category we call black. Yes. Which in South Africa is colored, Indian and African. Yes. What do you think of those dynamics? What could we be doing better because we seem to still be stuck on the ladder yeah. that was created by apartheid where we're all trying to assert that we are better than the other and we're not really seeing each other as brothers and sisters. Yes. What could we be doing better? I'm afraid that uh, is almost the legacy of the unintended consequences of, of redress. Um, we knew right in 1994 that if we were going to change the landscape um, of executive management uh, and we needed to do it quite fast, 
that um, you know you put in place what was in those years called an affirmative action policy that required that people had to still be categorized in, in those categories. And so all the transformation um, programs are aimed at keeping us in our categories, if one thinks about it in that way. But until uh, one reaches a, a, a phase of equality, um, you know, we, we would still need those. However, I mean, if I think back of the 70s, the black consciousness movement created a sense of solidarity and being able to rise above those categories uh, that we found ourselves in. And so you need a, a, a kind of national um, vision and leadership um, of social cohesion that goes beyond rhetoric. Mm. It's about the way in which we constitute um, our panels, our commissions, our uh, boards of companies and state-owned enterprises that should be truly representative um, and then represents the best that South Africa has to offer because when people are together, um, you know, we are all quite alike in our aspirations, but it requires very dedicated leadership to keep uh, providing the glue that holds, uh, holds the country together. Um, regrettably, the last 10 years or so, we've had a leadership that has divided the country rather than brought us together. My hope has always been um, on the younger generation the millennials and post-millennials because they grow up with a different value system um, and they're not so stuck um, on categories. Until we make them. Um, a coach yes. of mine shared a painful story of uh, her child is 18 months and mm -hmm. was playing in the grounds. Yes. So uh, the helper later communicated that um, the other white kids yes. who are older yes. said, we do not want to play with darkies. And um, so sharing that story was painful because she was like, how am I gonna start maneuvering this yes. territory of yes. having to educate my child? Correct. Because at the moment she's not speaking, That's but right. at some point she'll be able to answer yes. and what kind of answer. Yes. So South Africa is, um, uh, really at that cusp where we need to decide, you know, what future we want. Absolutely. But thinking about that as well in the younger generation, I know you're kind of passionate about managing upwards, you know, <laughs> yes. in, in terms of um, bosses. I don't like that word, but yes. people still use Absolutely. boss. <laughs> um, what advice do you give? Because I yeah. find in the work that I do that a, a lot of stress comes from not being able to manage absolutely that energy that's coming up and being f afraid for your future and your position absolutely what tips can you share there absolutely and the reason i'm so passionate about it is because i singularly failed at it i was completely lousy at managing upwards yeah. because my being so single minded and mm. focused you know i focus on the task yes and don't manage the relations <laughs> Yes. So, and I think that a lot of um, people fall out um, of the executive race mm. by and large because they, they struggle to manage upwards. In fact, these days you have whole modules at Harvard Business School and 
every other business school yeah, about Gibbs. managing. Gibbs too Mine, now, yeah. managing upwards, <laughs> absolutely. But what I would say is it's very important for young people to um, develop um, that kind of relationship with the leaders at the, at the next tier above them um, to find uh, good mentors perhaps there, um, to listen, um, to be respectful, but most importantly, at any particular level, one has to be able to deliver. And being able to deliver means you're reliable and trustworthy, and that takes a lot of stress off um, the upper levels um, of management. Because what we often forget is that those are also human beings. Yes. And um, communication is vital. And if you do your job really well, um, and one is responsive um, uh, to, to what, and in tune with what your leader needs, mm -hmm. um, you know, you could really um, help things quite a lot. Having said that, um, there is no excuse um, for abusive yeah. and overpowering and over-domineering and um, excessively hierarchical and autocratic leadership styles. And more often than not, we have too much of that. Um, people in executive management um, carry a lot of stress on a daily basis and come down on their subordinates. Yeah. Uh, one of the lessons I learned in the public service during the Mandela days is um, I, in the public service, I had a, a mentor that comes out of the de Klerk era. But what an incredible leader and an incredible good uh, human being, Dr. Ruth Fenter. Yeah. And he served um, the Mandela government um, in an unparalleled um, level and he gave me very good advice because I got angry once with a subordinate because it was about the third time I'd sent back a submission to be redone um, and by the third time I yeah. raised my voice a little bit and the gentleman a young white gentleman started shaking in front of me and I took note of that and I said please I've given you all the guidance, please go back and redo it and then come back to me um, and we'll, we'll work on it. And I went immediately to the office of the chairman of the Public Service Commission, uh, Dr. Rufenta, and he said to me, um, I said, um, I saw this young man shaking, but uh, I didn't think I was that harsh. He said, in your position, Yvonne, you can never afford to lose your temper because you come down on a subordinate with the full authority of your office and your position. And that is enormous power. And since then, I always remembered that. To Even be measured. Absolutely, to be, to be measured. Yeah. Notwithstanding the amount of stress I am under. Yes. Um, it's always a difficult balance, isn't it's it? It's a difficult balance, but um, somehow that, that stuck with me forever. I think it's gonna stick with me as well. What do you do for fun? For fun, <laughs> I love reading, I love theater, and I love movies. Yeah. My family uh, and kids always tease mom like cinema nouveau movies. <laughs> I do rather love yes. the art movies. Yes. Um, I still love them as a child, isn't that scary? I love walking too. <laughs>
Yeah. <laughs> okay. Have so, you done the yes. Spanish walk? No, I don't. Oh, no, no. I'm afraid uh, um, I've um, settled for less walking these days and more for uh, mindful movement. Yeah. <laughs> I do uh, mindful movement in my Pilates uh, okay. classes. Uh, well, I do one-on-one -on -one sessions and classes uh, sort of three times a week. Mm. It keeps me both sane and it keeps my body sort of <laughs> functioning. Yeah. You know that we usually say that the fish rots from the head. Yes, that's um, right. And we sometimes blame leaders for what the followers do because we say, well, the leader. Right. Do you buy into that? Do you, do you really think as followers, whether we staff or we the nation, what the leader does gives us license to, to be who they are if we're not um, very supportive of what character they are? So that's a, a double-loaded question. Yes. But Starting with the leader, um, I think it's important to lead uh, from the front and to lead by example. But having said that, uh, one leadership is not singular. So therefore, it is about developing more leaders. Um, it is very difficult to respect a leader who says, do as I say and not do as I do. And therefore, uh, there is a responsibility to leadership. Uh, if one's followers are doing wrong things, if I can put it that yeah. way, it is your responsibility to point that out and to intervene. And the higher you are, the more uh, authority and more responsibility you have in your position, the more compelling it is that you, that you intervene and take responsibility. There's a phrase called, not in my name. Yes. And so I think um, it, it is very important for leaders to, to live the example of what they want others to be. Yeah, because it seems like um, globally something has been unleashed. Yes. The, the types of leaders we have yes. are giving people permission. My perception is we are given permission to be who we are. It's not that they are changing us. Yes. And that's the part that scares me. Correct. To say, what does it say about us? Correct. If it's so easy to emulate, yeah. uh, whether it's a racist leader or it's a corrupt leader, um, I, I kind of am very concerned about that. The kind of leaders that we have globally basically uh, bring out the worst in people because you can have leadership that can inspire people to be better than themselves, basically. Um, and then you have leadership that bring out the worst in us. We've had that kind of leadership in South Africa over the last 10 years, and we have that uh, leadership cropping up globally everywhere. It's a, a swing towards authoritarianism. But the question is why? And I think that in times of uncertainty, in times of economic distress, um, in the wake of the global economic crisis, um, people are attracted to strong leaders. Now, strong leaders can also be good leaders, um, but they can also be um, bad leaders, essentially. And I think we, we are going through that phase, um, but I think that hopefully um, it will self-correct. Um, as moral and ethical leaders uh, begin to reassert themselves. Yeah. And we saw that with the last uh, speech Barack Obama made um, in relation to, to Donald Trump. Uh, we see that emerging in South Africa as well. Yeah. When a person calls you a leader, 
what does that conjure up in your mind? And do you embrace that uh, label readily? I should say perhaps reluctantly, but what it does evoke is um, responsibility. It evokes accountability. Um, and, um, but um, I do believe that, you know, one can naturally lead. Mm. Um, and then it relates to the style of leadership. So one doesn't have to lead by shouting um, or, you know, bullying people. Um, the kind of quiet leadership that lots of women leaders have um, is the kind of leadership that is enabling and nurturing. Um, because for me, maybe it's the, the education in my background that um, makes me always think about what legacy do you leave, um, how do you develop the next generation. Yeah. It is often not just about yourself, but about how do you give back and, mm. and you know, develop the next generation. And it is genuine because I met you uh, being interviewed for a board. And um, and then you called. Yes. We spent an hour. Yes. To say you were not successful in this one, but there are qualities that we saw. Absolutely. And I would like to be part of that journey to offer you an opportunity in the future. You don't really come across human beings like you, so don't think you are normal. Uh, and we are very appreciative of it because People talk about legacies and the next generation, but we get to these positions and we don't really let other people you know, come up. So thank you so much for that. Um, what book have you read in 2018 um, that really made an impression on you and why did it make an impression on you? I try not to flood people's inboxes with too much literature, but um, it's the one I sent you called Inside yeah. Knowledge by Alison Tempely. And it's really about women. Um, she writes about women in, in professional um, organizations and the challenges they face to rise through the organization. Um, and what she points out is that um, it's a mistake to think that women are not ambitious. Women are quietly ambitious. Um, but I think that if we can equate our ambition with goal setting, mm -hmm. um, perhaps we can um, be, be more focused. She also talks about how to become more present and how to uh, make an impression, but also about you know, communicating what it is that you do and what is is that you do well yeah. because we often do the work and and and, 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 and never without seeming to be boasting because that also doesn't go down well <laughs> yes the uh, <laughs> but it's about almost building your confidence and to yeah. do that you need a very strong um, sense of self so you have to pay attention we have to pay attention to ourselves um, sort of taking a check-in, she suggests, uh, on a monthly basis of where am I in my life, what are the things that I would still like to achieve over the next three to five years, um, what are the things that I can offload or shed. Mm. Um, and finding the things um, 
that drain our energy and offloading it. Yeah. Um, and then looking at the things that re-energize ourselves because that self-care um, is so important. It's something that I did not do very well. I did not manage the work-life balance mm -hmm. extremely well. And because, you know, I used to say WWW stands for work, 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 <laughs> and it becomes overwhelming. Yeah. So much later in life, um, it's, it's women being there for each other and checking in. Yeah. Um, you know, how are you doing with self-care? Mm. You know, your work is excellent, you are uh, moving up the ranks, etc. And so even at our level um, of experience and maturity, it's still important that we kind of take care of each other. Uh, I see my role as uh, ensuring that more black women um, can have voices and seats at the table. Yeah. So when I met you, I mean, I've read much uh, about you and, and your work, but when I met you, there was an immediate um, uh, rapport and I said, um, that is, you know, if I can create space um, to bring on board more uh, black women leaders, because those are the voices uh, that we need uh, to hear in corporate South Africa, uh, then, um, you know, we would be successful with not doing well at all um, in corporate South Africa, but better in government um, and in parliament, public sector, but really, really not doing well. Yeah. What's still on your bucket list? to achieve? I'd first thought perhaps I should um, chair a large board. I consciously, after working for 20 years in very large organizations, some global organizations, I consciously decided to take time out and focus on building smaller organizations. And then said perhaps at some point I should step up again. Um, but this morning, um, I rethought that and I thought perhaps I should make sure that I travel to a different country at least once a year yeah. and take a week or so time out. Yeah. And so perhaps I need to, uh, I took my children um, when I was still working as an executive once a year on an overseas holiday. Um, and I took them to a different continent every year. And the only reason uh, for doing that and spending so much money was really so that I could open their minds and open their horizons. And now I'm thinking that uh, to re-energize myself, um, I should just go somewhere yes. completely different. So last year I went to Zanzibar. Mm. This year I'm still working on it. And thinking about it. That's a, I try and do that, incorporate it in my holiday, but yes. also meet other business leaders and understand what's going on in different economies. As we close, is there something you want to share that we haven't touched on? Yes, I, I think that um, it's important um, for people to recognize that success comes with hard work. Um, there are no real shortcuts. Um, some people, you know, I do still believe in luck. Sometimes, yeah. you know, one will be lucky. But that does not um, happen to quite a lot of people. So 
because once you've established a track record for hard work and for solid delivery, no one can ever take that away from you. Um, and so it's not an easy message. It's not something that young people in particular would like to hear. But um, if we can sort of almost embed that in our DNA, I think, you know, we can make a real difference um, in whatever you do. I totally buy into that. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed that. And as you know, we can go on for another few hours. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you enjoy that. And join us next time for our Wisdom uh, Personified Conversations with Dudum Somi. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wisdom Personified Conversations with Dudum Somi. Please also like, follow and subscribe to our channel and share the wisdom with your friends. I would love it if you could rate and review as well. Wisdom Personified Conversations with Dudum Somi is also available on YouTube, Facebook Watch, Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. Enjoy the wisdom journey.